Hello and welcome to this edition of the IFS Zooms In with me, Paul Johnson. I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Jonathan Cribb and Zhao Weizhou, who work on labour market issues, what's happening to employment, what's happening to wages and so on. And this is a particularly good moment to be reflecting on where we are with the labour market. Things are changing fast. Furlough came to an end. And I think much to everyone's surprise, certainly relative to where we were a year ago, there seemed to be huge numbers of vacancies, really very low levels of unemployment, and actually some real constraints and problems in the labour market, not enough HGV drivers, not enough petrol tanker drivers, not enough strawberry pickers and all sorts of other problems with excessive vacancies. So what we're going to try and unpick today is the extent to which these headline grabbing issues in the labour market are more general trends or whether they're really very specific, what's actually happening to employment and wages and where we might go from here. Uh, I think one of the key things to take away from this will be that it all looks a bit different according to who you are, where you are, what skills you have, what sector you're working in. And not to give the punchline away too quickly, it's all really quite complicated. So to help us through those complications, I will turn to Jonathan uh, and Xiaowei and start off by really asking that question about the different sorts of labour market that different people are facing. Jonathan, Xiaowei, who's facing a difficult time at the moment in the labour market? Who's who's likely to be raking it in because because they're in in big demand? Well, should I pick up on some groups first? And I I think in my view, there are a couple of groups that we need to focus our our interests or concerns upon. Uh, The first are older workers, people uh, in their in their late fifties and and uh, early sixties before they get to uh, state pension age in particular, and, and the reason that I think that they are a little bit of a group of concern is the fact that actually come the summer they were more likely than any other age group to be furloughed, and that's a big change uh, compared to kind of uh, twenty twenty where it was quite obviously the younger and youngest workers who were most likely to be furloughed. So there's that risk. And actually, when we look at people who've lost their jobs, because actually a million people uh, lost their jobs over the course uh, of the pandemic, even despite uh, the furlough scheme, it's the, uh, the over 50s who are least likely to be getting back into work compared to uh, our younger groups. The other group that, that, that really stands out to me is what's going on in London, which just, again, on, on the furlough rates, on redundancies, on the re-employment of people, uh, once they've been made redundant, London just looks considerably worse than the rest of the country. Uh, I'm sure Zhao Wei has some e- extra people to worry about, though, not just those two. I mean, just, just, to, just to pick up on that, it is really interesting how different that looks to how you know, we might have expected or how it looked at the beginning of the pandemic. It, it's it's the older groups, not the youngest groups, who we were really worried about at the beginning, at, at the beginning of the pandemic. And it's London, not the other regions, which we often worry about levelling up. So I, I think really interesting findings and a bit, I suppose, counterintuitive, but, uh, but really important for government policy. Sorry, Xiaowei. Um, Yeah, I was going to add that another group I think that we might want to focus on now that um, really did relatively well at the start of the pandemic is more educated people. 
So, Paul, you mentioned that there's been this rise in vacancies um, in the ONS data in the recent months, uh, which is absolutely true. But looking deeper into the data, it turns out that the surge has been really driven by a handful of occupations. So in particular, the ones we hear about in the news, transport, warehousing, to some extent, things like care and hospitality as well. Um, but actually, vacancies and lots of higher skilled occupations have been much slower to recover. So whilst at the start of the pandemic, it was people with the lowest levels of education who were most likely to be furloughed and most likely to be laid off. Now we're actually seeing that it's people with degrees who face the lowest labour market opportunities relative to before the pandemic. And again, really um, quite surprising. I mean, we've been through a long period of time when we've thought of the labour market as being quite friendly to um, graduates and those with higher levels of skills and really difficult for the lower educated. I mean, do we, do we know why? I mean, what, what, what's driven that, that change? I think part of it might just be a, a short-term um, transitional thing. Um, we know that lots of low-paid jobs, um, in, specifically in these sectors, were done by EU migrants, many of whom would have left over the pandemic. So you do see this surge in vacancies as a result of that. But I think... Um, there might be a more structural shift in the economy as well. So we see, for example, that um, the occupations have really taken off are those associated with e-commerce and home deliveries. Um, and we know that you know, patterns of working from at home seem relatively persistent. Jonathan and I are both working from home today. Um, and um, we know that um, the shift towards shopping online also seems to have persisted um, even when lockdown restrictions have lifted. So I think part of that reflects a shift in the economy towards these um, relatively low-paying sectors. Which is really um, interesting. And I, I think what we're seeing, aren't we, is a sort of, you know, a lot of shifts happening in the economy. We, we've obviously um, shifts associated with COVID and that seems to have brought forward quite a lot of these changes to ways of working. We've obviously seen shifts as a result of Brexit and trade changing and also immigration patterns changing. Uh, We may be seeing a shift towards more um, uh, sort of a a net zero uh, economy. And one of the things that when an economy is changing that fast is that it can create, I suppose, some of the disequilibrium, some of the bottlenecks and some of the problems that we're Seeing, but I think what I'm hearing from both of you, in a, in a sense, is that um, when we look at the labour market as a whole, we shouldn't be overly influenced by what we're seeing in the one or two sectors that hit the headlines all the time. It's not that everybody is in great demand and everybody should be seeing big wage rises soon. Is, is, is that is that broadly how you would see it? Actually, for most people, the labour market still you know, looks okay, but it doesn't look, you know, that exciting. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I think certainly looking at vacancies, we do see that surge has been concentrated um, in a small number of occupations. And actually, we estimate that um, in June this year, about a quarter of the workforce still faced significantly lower opportunities in terms of new job vacancies that are relevant to them than before the pandemic. So I think that's definitely right. I think the consequences of these things uh, surprising, unusual uh, features of the labour market that we discuss are, are quite interesting. In, in a sense, if if more educated people are, are just doing that little bit worse compared to, to to people in occupations that need lower levels of formal education, well, you know, we tend not to worry quite as much about the kind of the living standards of people who are more educated or more wealthy, just because they can usually get by better for a, a, a bad year or two here and there compared to the real difficulties that 
poor people uh, have. But it does uh, face a bit of a challenge for the government. People like DWP and job centres are used to kind of getting lower formally educated people into kind of new jobs in in, in hospitality and retail and these kind of things. Uh, if there was a big uh, challenge of, of you know, unemployment for graduates or, or really uh, generally kind of skilled jobs, I just don't think the government has the same kind of level of experience about trying to help deal with that as they are with, with lower paid occupations. Well, at the moment, it looks like we're going to need to retrain um, graduates to drive lorries and slaughter pigs. The, the mismatches uh, in the labour market do seem to be quite quite significant. But I mean, what 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 about the the large majority of people who are you know are in work and are staying in work? What 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 do we know about what's happening to wages? After all, the prime minister has been talking about this as being a um, a transition to a new high wage economy. Are we are we seeing average wages running well ahead of inflation? Well, if you take the latest data, the, the kind of compare the summer twenty twenty one to summer twenty twenty, you download those numbers from the, the the ONS website, and you'll see some big wage growth. Um, the trouble with that is actually interpreting that in the real world, because anything that compares to summer twenty twenty is comparing to a time when uh, you know six million, seven million people were on furlough, and many of whom were only getting 80% of their pay. So it is very hard to interpret at least those headline numbers on wage growth at the moment. I think this this um, comparison to a very low base uh, is definitely an issue with the current wage data. Another one is that we have seen unemployment rise over the course of the pandemic, and that's obviously um, very selective. So it tends to be people on lower paid um, jobs that have lost their jobs over the pandemic. And therefore, uh, we're looking at an average among a high paid group. So even if no one sees their wages increase, we would see an increase in average wages because lower paid people are more likely to lose their jobs over the pandemic. So I do think the, the statistics that are bandied around on, on average wages are quite unhelpful. We did some work looking at this. What we did was we looked at wage growth among people who remained in employment and didn't get followed over the pandemic. And what we found actually there was that uh, wage growth during the pandemic was very similar to wage growth experienced in the pre-pandemic years, which, you know, is a good news story in many ways um, and somewhat unexpected, but doesn't point to skyrocketing wages. Indeed. And if I recall, the Office of National Statistics think that the sort of underlying wage growth is somewhere around 4%. And with inflation at three, that's uh, real wage growth of one, which is roughly where we were um, pre-pandemic. And that's, um, you know, as you say, not something to be sniffed at, given that we've had very small increases in unemployment. Uh, we've had, uh, 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 and if, if wage growth has continued much as it was in the midst of the, you know, deepest recession in in history, um, that's a pretty good outcome. But I think there's certainly no evidence at the moment, is there, that, that wages are in general moving off in a much more positive direction than they were pre-pandemic or indeed pre Brexit. But again, my impression is that there's a lot of variation there, that, that there are some, possibly a small number of headline occupations seeing some big rises, and then quite a lot of occupations seeing really very modest increases. And again, of course, if you're in the public sector, on the whole, you're going to be getting little or nothing in the way of, of increases. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's certainly plausible that these acute shortages and things like HP. Uh, HEV driving, um, you know, chefs, these other occupations that I talked about would lead to an increase in wages, at least in the short term. 
Um, it is worth stressing that this might be a short term increase that people benefit from now, but um, doesn't persist into the future. Um, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that some of these occupations like HGV driving, for example, is a really highly skilled occupation that you need to train for for a long time. Um, so, you know, people can't just quickly retrain to meet the labor demand that we're seeing at the moment. But of course, if higher wages persist, then people will retrain into the occupation and and that in the long run will push down wages. Yeah, and I think that you're um, identifying the difference between the short and the long run is a real issue for government. I mean, what again, what we've heard, particularly from the Prime Minister over the last week, and this is the week of the Conservative Party conferences, uh, is, are you know strong and interesting claims about changing the structure of the UK labour market. But even if that happens, it's going to take some considerable period and without being able to call on immigrant workers in the short run, which um, broadly speaking, we're able to do much less of, then these long run changes are going to take some time to occur. And the potential, therefore, remains for some of the disruptions that we've seen over the last month or so. Given what you've both said about where the labour market is, and I think I take this as, um, you know, looking quite good for some people with lower levels of qualifications and not looking good for Londoners, not looking so good for graduates. Might, might we expect this to result in a reduction in, in inequalities? I mean, again, over a long period, we've expected, we've seen higher wage people doing better, higher educated people doing better. Are we, are we seeing a reversal of that or is that far too early to, to tell? Well, maybe I'll pick up uh, on this. I think Uh, There's a couple of things. I wouldn't be totally surprised right now if people with the lower uh, hourly wages uh, were seeing higher pay growth than uh, people with middle or high hourly wages. Not only just because of uh, what we've been talking about a lot today of these kind of shortages in particular lower paid occupations. Also, just the fact that we do still have a minimum wage that is rising faster than average earnings are pushing up to two thirds of median by 2024. Um, you know, and, and that those rises in the minimum wage since 2015 in particular have uh, fed through into into higher wages uh, for lower paid people it, prior to the pandemic, uh, as well as uh, as well as now. That doesn't necessarily translate into lower kind of household income inequality uh, for lots of different reasons are kind of just just two of them one of them is just the fact that not all of the of the lowest paid people are themselves in in very poor households some of them will have a, a partner who also works and you know once you add their two incomes together they they're, they're doing you know much better uh, and secondly, that, you know, there have been a series of, of considerable reductions to the value of uh, working age benefits over, over the last decade. We know, you know, now again, we've, we've got the, 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 the expiry of, of the uh, uplift to universal credit. So particularly for low income people, what happens to benefit policy, what happens to employment are going to be very, very important potentially more important than actually than what happens to the wages of, of the lowest paid people. I, I think that's right. I also think, um, you know, what happens to employment will be to some extent linked to what happens to wages. Um, so the prime minister's talked about moving to this, you know, high productivity, high productivity, high wage economy. 
Um, but of course, that depends on businesses responding to high wages in some way, right? And there's a number of ways they could respond. They could respond by adopting new technologies and becoming more productive, or they could raise their prices, or, you know, maybe their profits just fall. And if their profits fall, then, you know, some businesses will fail and people will lose their jobs. And I think, you know, the effect will vary probably across sectors, right? So in some sectors it might be um, possible to get these productivity gains to sustain higher wages, but in others, I think you might just end up being constrained by the price of imports. So it's unclear, for example, in a, in a sector like fruit picking, um, agriculture more generally, that's difficult to automate. It's, it's unclear that you'd be able to hire people on wages that people would be happy to do these jobs on whilst you know not just being outcompeted by foreign imports. I think it's a really, uh, really interesting set of observations there. I mean, the in a world in which um, labour is harder to come by, the and, and, and wages potentially rise, there are seems to me three different possible outcomes. Now, the good outcome uh, would be the one in which firms invest more in technology and uh, productivity, and we have a, as the prime minister hopes for, a higher wage, higher productivity economy. But there are at least two bad outcomes here. One is that uh, wages go up, but productivity doesn't go up. And then we just uh, generate inflation. And the other possible outcome is that a whole bunch of businesses just shut down because they can't, um, because they can't get the people or skills that they need. Now, you might argue that if we stop growing strawberries or cabbages or whatever it is in the UK because we can't get cheap foreign labour, then that's that's all fine um, because, you know, we're in a country that is not appropriate to do that and we can import the, the things instead. But, you know, that's easy to say from a, an ivory tower. It's not so easy if you happen to be running one of those businesses or working in one of those businesses at the moment. And again, I think what we what what we're in danger of seeing it seems to me is quite a big um you know, dislocation in the labor market which might take some time to shake out and uh, these dislocations can be quite painful for a large number of people who are affected which i suppose takes me on to sort of a you know the sort of the million dollar question in a way which is um you know given all that we've said how should government respond to the sorts of changes that we're seeing and and i don't know what sort of answers you've got jonathan and jawe but it does seem to me to be a very difficult question at the moment not least because we've collectively failed to predict what's happening um, at the moment there's an awful lot of change going on as you've said it's some slightly different groups who are facing problems at the moment to those we might normally expect but um, but here's your million dollar question what should we what should government do now well, I mean, first thing I, I think is that we we have been talking about a lot of changes almost simultaneously because so much is happening at the same time. And I, I think it is just worth reflecting that s- s- some of these changes are coming about because, you know, say we've, we've left the European Union, we've got lower immigration. We're just kind of adapting um, to that, you know, in a world with, with, with fewer fewer immigrants and it's it's not kind of totally clear what that's going to do how how in a sense good it's going to be some of the other reallocation is just going to be because you know people have decided to work at home more and the firms have allowed that and we're going to need some reallocation and be good in the long run ultimately that we do reallocate labor around our new new working 
lives. I, I, I guess my point is, I think that there is a good thing about reallocation of labour towards what is needed in the economy, um, as well as as the kind of risks that you identify. So I, I think it's just worth being being some positive about some at least some labour reallocation, just for producing what we want uh, to consume uh, in in the economy and where we want to consume it. What should we be doing? I think that ultimately the the, the difficulty is going to come down to when do we have l- lots of jobs that firms want to kind of fill and employers, you know, persistently can't do so. And then in a sense, the only kind of things that can be done are, you know, in- encouraging training, you know, to 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 allow people to get the skills to 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 fill some of these jobs, or potentially allowing uh, immigration uh, of people who already have these skills from abroad. On the training side, it may, may need some government intervention, just because there is a problem in the market of of training. Is that if a firm pays for a worker's training? Uh, and then a worker goes off and uses that to get a job in another firm, and that firm doesn't benefit from it. So there is a kind of a good rationale for government um, subsidising or or, or 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 just generally lowering the cost of training. I don't really see any other alternatives other than finding ways to to get new skills through training, or or as I say, in a sense, importing labour through um, more immigration from abroad. I agree with the point on training, and I think specifically with respect to retraining, so allowing people to get funding to to train for degree levels that they already have. Um, I think another another policy avenue you might want to think about is just cushioning the blow, recognizing that there's going to be a great deal of reallocation, and you know, as Jonathan says, lots of it is going to be inevitable because of changes to people's preferences over the pandemic, and some of it may well be a good thing in the long run. But recognizing that this is going to create disruption in the short run, people are going to lose their jobs, um, and you know, have to take time to retrain um, to the jobs that are demanded in the economy. Now, of course, we know that we've just lost the £20 universal credit uplift um, and gone back to the pre-pandemic benefit system, which offered some of the lowest replacement rates on earnings, you know, in Western European countries, right? So if you lose your job, the amount you get on benefits is a smaller share um, of your pre- uh, previous earnings than in lots and lots of other countries. So I think there might be a case in this period of disruption to actually provide more of a safety net for people who do lose their jobs. That, that seems to cover most of the bases in terms of the things that government needs to do. It's, uh, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember uh, the 1980s when we went through a huge economic dislocation and government failed totally, I think it's fair to say, to support people through that period who lost their jobs. And many, particularly older people, actually, who lost their jobs then never went back to work again. And we certainly need to learn the lessons from that because the consequences were there for a very long time uh, but um to end on a uh, on a positive note you know it really has been extraordinary watching what's happened to the economy and the labor market over the last 18 months we've got unemployment at levels sort of you know, which look like they're going to peak um sort of where they were 3 or 4 years ago after a, a really really uh, deep recession, partly as a reflection of the very large amount of support that the government gave to the economy. And even if we don't have wages shooting off into the stratosphere, as the Prime Minister might have us believe, they're at least um, not doing any worse than they were 
two or three years ago. But the challenges ahead are really quite substantial. They're all the challenges we had pre-pandemic in terms of getting productivity going and wages increasing at something more like the levels they were before the financial crisis, uh, but also new challenges associated with this big transition uh, to a new kind of labour market with different kinds of skills required in different kinds of places. So I think we will leave it there. I think you've heard that there is a lot going on in the labour market, that it's affecting different people very differently. And I hope uh, the main message to take from this is to look well beyond the headlines and not assume that we're all HGV drivers or pig slaughterers. Uh, we're, uh, we're all in very different parts of the labour market and will be affected very differently. And we'll see how that pans out over the coming years. So thank you very much for tuning in to the IFS Zooms In. And we hope to see you again next time.